Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another triple stack of Jack Benny, Phil Harris, and Jack Benny again. It's 2018. I uh, thought I'd come on and just say one that both these episodes of the Jack Benny show we're presenting tonight have pretty drastic sound upgrades that I've made to them uh, thanks to the folks at the Cobalt Club again. Uh, it's amazing what they find and these episodes, especially this first one with Bing Crosby, I'd always been a little frustrated that it didn't have better sound quality than it does and now it has a lot better sound quality so that's great because you want to hear Bing Crosby in clear sound. Uh, anyway, and of course Jack is always great here in clear sound too. Um, in between them, we have the Phil Harris show, but the other thing, reason I came on tonight was to, uh, say that every year I try and at least on one of my podcasts right around Jack's birthday on Valentine's day, I like to present Mary telling Johnny Carson, the Rose story. And if you haven't heard it, it's just a wonderful story that Mary will tell It's just under a minute clip. But I think it's a great clip, and and we uh, recently upgraded the sound quality on that clip, so it you can really make out what's being said and things. Whereas previous years, not so much. Uh, anyway, uh, if you want to hear more with Jack and Mary uh, on my Judy Garland um, podcast over at Judy, what Judy Garland and Friends OTR podcast. Um, I shared a Jack Jack Benny's show uh, from Valentine's from a year ago uh, in 1937 and uh, again with the Rose clip and uh, also Jack and Mary being in Brewster's Millions so it's a pretty cool episode it also has a little bit of um, the Fred Allen show on there so you might want to tune into the Judy Garland podcast if you don't normally to catch that I aired it uh, on Wednesday Valentine's Day Anyway, today, uh, as I've said, we have Bing Crosby appearing in the 1953 Jack Benny episode. Uh, following that, we have Phil Harris in his 1953 episode. I love it that we can bring these episodes back to back, like you may have heard them years ago. And uh, the, <laughs> the Phil Harris episode is still dealing with, uh, last week was dealing with uh, some Native American um what issues I guess and this year this episode is the same thing it's um has more Native American and so we get to see how inappropriate the show might get at certain times uh and it's just part of the time back then what it was going on gotta remember uh, this is the same time Peter Pan was coming out from Disney that now you look at it and say oh my goodness the uh stereotypes in there are not so so wonderful but uh it is our history. Uh, after that, we have Jack Benny from 1942. And on that episode, we have Joe Besser and George Jessel again, who also appeared on last week's episode. So I hope you're going to enjoy them tonight. Uh, without further ado, let's get into Mary's Rose story and then right into my old introduction that I do to... Uh, the Bing Crosby appearance on the Jack Benny Show. Jack, 
passed away, um, oh, I think it was about a week later, a red rose came. No name, just one red rose. And I thought, isn't this lovely? Somebody sent me red rose, how dear. The next day and the next day and still came and I couldn't figure it out. And I said, well, who's the florist? You know, if I called a florist, they probably could tell me. Nobody knew. It wasn't until about... And I'm still getting them every day. And it was about, I guess, six months later when the florist, David Jones... Told you that... Jack had told him to send me a rose every day for the rest of my life. Well, that is sweet. I mean, that gives you... That's the measure of the man. Pretty much is the measure of the man. I think that kind of sums Jack up a little bit. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the Jack Benny Show from the 1952-1953 season. I've been waiting for this one. You just knew it would have to happen with uh, Bob Crosby taking over for Phil Harris. Bob Crosby's brother, Bing, stops by, and we get a chance to... uh, for Jack and the gang to recreate the life of Bing Crosby for us. Um, I love it when uh, Bing's on different shows, and it's great to have Bing with Jack and the whole gang, so enjoy this great episode uh, with Bing and Bob playing off of each other, and of course Jack as well, so a very enjoyable, fun time to be had by all, and we will see you tomorrow for Bing Crosby with his guest, Robert Taylor, who had just appeared last night on our um, Jack Benny show. So this is a big week for guest stars. And on Tuesday, join us for Jack Benny as he invites guest Frank Sinatra on his show. So huge uh, guest star week this week. So we'll see you next time. The Jack Benny Program, transcribed and presented by Lucky Strike. You know, friends, nothing, no nothing beats better taste. And remember... Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. For Lucky Strike means fine tobacco, richer tasting, fine tobacco. Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky Strike, Lucky Strike. Which cigarette is the right one for you? That's easy. The one that tastes better. Because a better tasting cigarette will give you more enjoyment. That's right, nothing, no nothing beats better taste. And Lucky's taste better, cleaner and fresher and smoother. Here's why. First of all, Lucky's are made of fine, light, really mild tobacco. Yes, L-S-M-F-T, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Then, too, Lucky's are made better to taste better. Made round and firm and fully packed to draw freely and smoke evenly. Made to give you a cleaner, fresher, smoother tasting smoke. So, friends, for the one thing you want most in a cigarette, for the better taste that brings greater smoking enjoyment, be happy. Go lucky. Make your next carton Lucky Strike. Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky Strike. Lucky Strike. Broadcasting from the American Legion Hall in Palm Springs, California, the Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Rochester, Dennis Day, Bob Crosby, and yours truly, Don Wilson.
ladies and gentlemen, I bring you a man who, after one week in Palm Springs, has become a picture of health. He was on the golf course Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, looking for the ball he lost on Monday. <laughs> and here he is, Jack Benny! Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking. And now, ladies and gentlemen, since this is our second week... Oh, wait a minute, I... Jack. Wait, wait a minute. Huh? Jack, did you really lose a golf ball? Certainly, Don. I even asked you to help me look for it all over the desert. And now, ladies and gentlemen, since this is our second week... Oh, in Jack, the... Jack, something tells me you tricked me. I tricked you? Yes. As we were coming past Roger's stable, you said, Don, you'll never find the ball that way. Stoop over. I did. You threw a saddle on me and for the rest of the day tried to rent me out for a dollar and a quarter an hour. <laughs> He found out. I thought I was being subtle, too. You know, I can't... Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. Hello, everybody. Mary, why didn't you show up for rehearsal this morning? Well, if you must know, for one thing, I was busy moving out of that hotel where you're living. But, Mary, I've stayed in that hotel for the last two weeks. It may be small and crowded, but it's a lovely place. Some lovely place. This morning, guest balled me off for using the roller towel. Why? He was sleeping in it. <laughs> well, Mary, it's the height of the season, and people have to sleep where they can. As a matter of fact, I happen to know that last night, some people had to sleep in the police station. Jack, that was the orchestra, and the height of the season had nothing to do with it. <laughs> oh. Say, Barry, you're kidding about the orchestra being arrested, aren't you? No, I'm not, Don. Well, for heaven's sakes, what'd they do? I don't know about the others, but the police found Remley lying against the curb and he hadn't put a penny in the parking meter. <laughs> Mary, stop making up jokes. Now, you know the boys in the band. Oh, hello, Bob. Hiya, Jack. Hello, Mary. Hello, Bob. Well, Bob, are you still enjoying yourself here in Palm Springs? Oh, uh, pretty good. What do you mean, pretty good? You're living at one of the swankiest places in town, the El Mirador. Well, that's right, Bob. And you know, during the war, the El Mirador was a hospital, but it isn't anymore. Well, I wish someone would tell the waiters. Why? Well, last night I ordered borscht. Borscht? Mm -hmm. Well, didn't it taste good? Who knows? They laid me on the table and shot it in my arm. <laughs> You're kidding. Kidding. Look at this muscle. It's a potato. <laughs> well, how do you like that? Then for dessert, they gave me an anesthetic. Well, Bob, that had nothing to do with the dinner. Everybody who lives at the El Merador gets an anesthetic. Yeah, but why? That way they can give you the bill and you won't come too till you go through banning. <laughs> well, that... Well, that... That explains a lot of things. Yeah, it really explains a lot of things. Yeah. Like what? Well, when I drove up to the place, a bellboy came out, carried in my wallet, and left my bags in the driveway. <laughs> Sorry I took your line then, Bob. <laughs> Anything happens when you do it. I take his lines, he takes somebody else's. That's because we don't rehearse, you know. <laughs> well, anyway, at the, the El Mirador is really one of the nicest. Come in. Telegram for Mr. Jack Bunny. I'll take it, boy. Uh, here you are. Oh, just a minute, boy. Have you got change for a $5 bill? 
Change for a five? Yeah, I think so. Good, good. Here's the five dollar bill. All right, here's your change. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, boy, you can go now. <laughs> oh, thank you, Mr. Benny. Thank you. This is my lucky day. Uh, wait a minute, boy. What do you mean this is your lucky day? Mr. Benny gave you a $5 bill, and you gave him back five ones. What are you so happy about? When you do business with him and break even, it ain't bad. <laughs> Not go already. Jack, who's the telegram from? Just a minute, I'll see. Hmm, it's from Dennis Day. Says, sorry, I can't be on the program today, so I'm sending a substitute singer to take my place. The reason I am missing the program is because I'm eloping with Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> However, I'm silly enough to be back with you next week. <laughs> That crazy kid making up jokes for a telegram. It's six cents a word. It's ridiculous. Say, it? Jack, why did he say he's sending over a substitute? I can sing. Why, certainly, Bob. That's exactly what you're going to do. Any substitute that Dennis would send over would probably be some silly jerk who doesn't even know how to... Now, who can that be? Come in. Jack, look who it is. Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby. Bing. Just call me substitute. <laughs> Bing, I'm surprised, actually amazed that you're the one that's taking Dennis's place today. Why, Jack? What's so amazing about that? Well, let's face it. How can a kid like Dennis afford to pay a big star like you for a guest appearance? Wait, wait, wait a minute, Jack. Dennis isn't paying me anything. The kid and I worked out an exchange deal. An exchange? Mm -hmm. I do a guest shot for him today, and he caddies for me tomorrow. <laughs> Well, Bing, I don't like to cast aspersions on your business ability, but I think Dennis got the best of you on the deal. Uh-uh. No, he didn't, Jack. You see, tomorrow I'm playing a match with Ben Hogan at $100 a hole. Wait a minute. You can't beat Ben Hogan. He's the best golfer in the country. That's what I want with Dennis. He'll drive Hogan nuts. <laughs> Oh, there's oh. some writing. I got three O's in there. Right? <laughs> a little redundant. What? You know... Uh, I'm here. You know my whole gang, don't you? Oh, yes. Yeah. Hi, fellas. And hello, Mary. Hello, Bing. Well, I guess I know everybody except... Uh, who's the fellow standing over there? I'm your brother. <laughs> I didn't recognize you. How are you, Robert? I'm fine, Bing. Gosh, I haven't seen you for months. In fact, not since I started working on Jack's program. See, no wonder I didn't recognize you, kid. You, you, you got a lot thinner. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Bing. If Bob lost any weight, it's not Jack's fault. Certainly not. Bob's working for peanuts, and peanuts are fattening. <laughs> well, thank you, Mary. You know, Bing, huh? it's quite a coincidence having you on the program. Only three weeks ago, we had your sidekick, Bob Hope, as a guest star. Oh, really? How was old Sickle Snoot? Hmm? Sickle Snoot? Why do you call Hope that? Well, his nose looks like a bagel with one bite out of it. I think... <laughs> don't you think that's pretty... Yeah, it does. Huh? It does. <laughs> you know it does at that. Uh -huh. 
say, Bing, uh, you and Bob Hope have made an awful lot of pictures together, haven't you? Yes, and don't hit that word awful so hard, will you? Just kind of gloss that. Anyway, Beagle Beak is a little mad about it now because, you know, in every picture we make, I get the girl. Oh, is that what makes him mad? I get the money, too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, for heaven's sakes, Bing, with everything else you have, why are you so interested in money? Believe me, you can't take it with you. They finally convinced you, huh? Well, almost. <laughs> Say, Bing, what are you doing down here in Palm Springs? Well, I've been doing some broadcasts, Marion. I've been writing my autobiography. No kidding. Yeah, finally finished all the writing. I've titled it Call Me Lucky. Say, Bing, the story of your life must be very interesting. Tell me about it. Well, I was, uh, I was born in Tacoma, Washington, and... Uh... Oh, I tell you about it, Jack. You can read it in the Saturday Evening Post. Oh, yes, the Saturday Evening mm-hmm. Post, sure. That's only 15 cents. Comes in uh, eight installments. Oh, well, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jack, <laughs> this, thing, <laughs> this thing starts in the February 14th edition of the Saturday Evening Post, and, and you can read it there. I know, but I want to hear the whole story at once. I don't want to wait eight weeks. Well, all right. You see, my life story starts off with my birth in the year 1914. 1914. Mm-hmm. See, this is 1953. 14 from 53. Hmm. That would make you 39. Bing, you can't be 39. What's the matter? You got it patented or something? <laughs> no, it's just that, uh, that, uh... That finder's keepers. It is not. <laughs> Look, Bing, do you have a copy of your autobiography with you? Yeah, got it all right here, just as it appears in the post. Well, look, I'll tell you what. Suppose I read the story while you sing your song. Well, what makes you think he'll sing a song? What makes you think I won't? <laughs> <laughs> Open up your heart and let the love shine through. Open up your heart and make my dreams come true. Why do you just hide behind it? Loosen up the chains that bind it. Open up your heart and let me in. Baby, I've been mighty lonesome. Baby, I've been mighty blue. And the reason for it all is plain to see. From the very first day I met you, you've been walking in all my dreams. It's time you gave a little thought to me. loves the sunshine and the pelican loves the sea and the meadowlark loves to sing his happy song not one of them gets as lonesome as a lovesick bird like me and it's all because my chickadee done me wrong how oh, why don't you open up your heart and let the love shine through open up your heart and make my dreams come true Throw away the key that fits it, tell them I'm the one that gets it. Open up your heart and let me in. Open up your heart and let me in.
Bingo, that was wonderful. And I just read your autobiography, and it's really interesting. Say, Jack, I've got an idea. What, Mary? Well, since we've got Bing with us, why don't we dramatize his life story? Say, that is a good idea. Look, Bing, suppose I do your life story on my show, then you can do the story of my life on your show. Your life on a half-hour program? <laughs> hmm? Don't worry, we'll work it out. Eight installments. <laughs> And now, ladies and gentlemen, a special preview of the life of Bing Crosby as it appears in the Saturday Evening Post. This... Oh, excuse me a minute. Hello? I have a long-distance call from Mr. Jack Benny. This is Jack Benny speaking. I'll take the call. It's collect. Collect? Look, operator, I'm not taking any collect call. Just a moment. I'm sorry, Mr. Paley, but Mr. Benny said he isn't taking... Mr. Paley? Oh, my goodness, operator, certainly I'll take the call. Very well, Mr. Benny, go ahead. Hello? Hello, Mr. Benny, this is Rochester. What? (laughs) Rochester, you tricked me. I had to, boss. I'm in the garage in San Bernardino, and I haven't got any money. The garage? Something wrong with my car again? Rochester, answer me. Is there something wrong with my car? Just a minute, boss. This is such a long story, I wrote it down. Never mind that. Just tell me what happened. Well, I was on my way down to Palm Springs to pick you up. Uh-huh. And as I was coming through Cucamonga, I was driving along the railroad tracks when suddenly I noticed the super chief was trying to pass me. Trying to pass you? <laughs> so I accepted the challenge, put my foot down to the floor, and would you believe it, for the next 22 miles, we were side by side. Rochester, how could you keep up with the super chief? The mail hook had me by the back of the neck. <laughs> Well, that's one way of keeping... Uh, one way of keeping up with it. Yeah, we were coming along at 90 miles an hour, and then it happened. What? We came to a tunnel. A tunnel? Oh, my goodness. Was the car wrecked? Boys, if you see four flying saucers with hubcaps, they're yours. <laughs> that's terrible. Rochester, are you hurt? No, I was protected by the ironing boys. Roger, you had the ironing board in the car? Why? If you found out I was just sitting there driving, you'd be awful mad. (laughs) I would not. Anyway, before you leave the garage, find out how much it'll cost to fix my car. Oh, I already did that. In fact, I had two fellas look at it, and they each gave me an estimate. The first said $17.50, and the second fellow wanted $800. Well, that's quite a difference. $800 out of the question for fixing up my car. What'll the fellow do for $1,750? There it is. <laughs> Barry, at Rochester, you didn't really have a wreck, did you? Well, no, I didn't, boss. Then why did you make up such a story? Well, I knew I'd be late getting down to Palm Springs, so I started to make up an excuse, and it got away from me. <laughs> Well, that's ridiculous. No, it isn't. I sold it to the Saturday Evening Post in eight installments. <laughs> All right. All right, goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, say, boy. Now what? The director of your television show called, and he's already hired 700 dancing girls for your TV show next Sunday. Rochester. I'm not having 700 dancing girls on my television show next Sunday. Boss, you know that, and I know that, but let's lure the listeners. Oh, yeah! yeah. Thank you, Rochester. Goodbye. Goodbye! <laughs> <laughs>
And now, ladies and gentlemen, we present our dramatization of the Saturday Evening Post autobiography of Bing Crosby, Call Me Lucky, Curtain Music. In the city of Tacoma, Washington, the stork paid a visit to Mr. and Mrs. Harry Crosby in the year 1914, it says here. <laughs> The newborn baby was called Harry Lillis Crosby. Harry Lillis was a precocious baby and learned to speak quite young. At the age of three months, he said, Duh. <laughs> At the age of four months, he said, Duh, duh. At five months, Duh, duh, duh. And at six months. <laughs> the baby grew into a child of school age, and he was a good pupil, and a clever one, too. While other kids brought the teacher apples, he brought her Minute Maid orange juice. <laughs> then at the age of seven, he received the nickname he made famous, Bing. It happened because his family lived next to a cherry orchard, and he was very fond of Bing cherries. Fortunately, he didn't live next to an orange grove, or today he might be known as Naval Crosby. <laughs> At about this time, another blessed event took place in the Crosby home. The newcomer joined brothers Bing, Larry, Ted, and Everett. And he was named Robert. Bing took care of little Robert and tried to teach him to talk. Come on, Bobby. Say mama. Duh. Now, come on, Bob. Say mama. Duh. No, mama. Say mama. Mama. Shep of the blitz. <laughs> That's how it started, folks. The boys grew up and began going to high school. And Mother Crosby thought Bing was old enough to have responsibilities, so she decided to give him an allowance of a dollar a week. When it came time for him to receive his first dollar, Bing said, Mother, may I have my allowance? Why, certainly, son. Here it is. Oh, but Mother, I'm supposed to get a dollar allowance. How come you only gave me 90 cents? Brother Everett gets 10%. <laughs> That's how that started, folks. <laughs> By now, Bing was attending high school, and one day on his way to class, he ran into his best friend, Robert Leslie Hope. Hope suggested they play hooky, which they did. They went down to the corner fruit store and swiped apples, and they went around tipping over ash cans and breaking windows. This was the start of their first picture, the road to reform school. <laughs> but Bing went on to college. He and his brother Bob shared the same room at Gonzaga University. They shared everything. They even took their Saturday night baths together. And they enjoyed it because it gave them a chance to harmonize. The roads are the dustiest, the winds are the gustiest, the gates are the rustiest, the pie's the crustiest, the song's the lustiest, the folks the trustiest, way back home. The trees are the sappiest, the days are the nappiest, the dogs are the appiest, the kids the scrappiest, the jokes the snappiest, the folks the happiest, 
way back home I don't know why I left the homestead We Crosby's had such fun Yeah, but Bing We drove the neighbors crazy They had to move Yes, one by one Bob was the littlest Sister Kay the prettiest Larry was the dumpiest Mary Rose the plumpiest Bing's clothes the dingiest Everett the stingiest All right Way back home Soloista Let's light a lucky strike That's sure a smoke I like My folks are tearing them And they're comparing them Yes, it's a favorite smoke Of all the smartest folk Way back home A lucky is round and firm That's more than just a term It's made of fine tobacco There's twenty in a pack No puff is ever rough It's luckies we all puff Way back home Lucky strikes are better tasting What feeling? And there are no loose ends That's my boy, Grease the This sponsor. is my butter and eggs, Grease Leo But yes. cleaner, fresher, smoother Make smoke Make it sound sincere You'll be proud to give your friend We folks are the happiest My brothers are the snappiest Everett the daffiest Bob is the pappiest You said it we're happy it is true to go back with, with you way, way back home. When he graduated from college, Bing's ambition was to become a singer. His career really started with an audition in Los Angeles. Your name is Harry Lillis Crosby? Yes, sir, but most people call me Bing. Tell me, have you made any phonograph records? Yes, sir. I made lots of records. I made them for a company owned by Rudy Valley, but gee, I think he's jealous of me. Now, how can you say Rudy was jealous? He let you make the records, didn't he? Yeah, but he wouldn't put the holes in the middle. <laughs> Young man, you know, I like you. I'm going to give you a chance. Here, learn this song, and tomorrow night, you'll sing on a coast-to-coast -coast radio network. And the following night, for the first time in history, the rich baritone voice of Bing Crosby was heard as he sang... Crunchy munchies hit the spot from a cannon, they are shot. They will become your favorite dish. They are better than Cavilla fish. <laughs> on his way to success, and with fame and wealth, his interests became diversified. For instance, one day he witnessed the following scene. I'll buy that racehorse. That's a very good horse you're buying, Mr. Crosby. All right, but tell me, uh, what does he go the mile in? Well, I don't know. He never quite made it. <laughs> well, look, Mr. Crosby, your horse can win its first race if you'll tell the jockey that's riding it to holler giddy-ap and throw this little electrical switch on the saddle. Oh, is, is there a battery under there? No, it turns on his hearing aid. <laughs> but Bing could afford a stable of slow horses. He had gone into pictures. His movie career was always successful, but it became more so because of three brilliant decisions. He made Going My Way, he made Bells of St. Mary's, and he turned down the horn blows at midnight. <laughs> His 
career really reached its zenith on a night in March in 1945 when he won the Academy Award. His acceptance speech was quite modest, as he said. I want to thank everyone who helped me win this Oscar. Even though I have supposedly reached the top as a singer, I want you to know that it has not been easy. I've had to overcome many hardships, poverty, disease, hunger, Como and Sinatra. <laughs> yes, Bing had reached the very top, and yet his fortunes grew and grew. He had records, television, movies, radio, frozen food, inventions, cattle, and oil wells. Yes, the world was his, and I wish he'd give it back already. <laughs> this is Bing's true story. <laughs> Jack and his guest star, Bing Crosley, will be back in a moment. But first, nothing, no nothing beats better taste. And remember... Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. For Lucky's strike means fine tobacco, richer tasting, fine tobacco. Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky strike, lucky strike. Friends, the taste of your cigarette is all important. For in a cigarette, nothing, no nothing beats better taste. And Lucky's taste better, cleaner and fresher and smoother. You see, Lucky's better taste really begins with the fine, light, truly mild tobacco that goes into every single Lucky Strike. Yes, L-S-M-F-T, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Good tasting tobacco, of course. Then, too, Lucky's also taste better because they're made better to give you a cleaner, fresher, smoother tasting smoke. So, friends, remember how important better taste is to your enjoyment of a cigarette. And remember that Lucky Strike gives you the better taste of fine tobacco in a better-made cigarette. But most of all, remember to pick up a carton of Lucky's tomorrow. Yes, be happy. Go Lucky. Be happy. Go Lucky. Get better taste Bing, I want to thank you very much for taking Dennis Day's place on the program. I was glad to do it, Jack. Tell me, Bing, is Dennis really going to caddy for you when you play golf with Ben Hogan tomorrow? That's right. And you and Ben are playing for $100 a hole? Mm-hmm. Well, do you mind if I join you? You know, I'd like to pick up a little extra money. Well, what makes you think you'd win? I can't lose. I'm going to caddy for Hogan. Oh. <laughs> Good night, Bing. Good night, folks. Jack Benny program is written by Sam Perrin, Milt Josephsburg, George Balzer, John Packerberry, and produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marks. Be sure to hear The American Way with Horace Height for Lucky Strike every Thursday over this same station. Consult your newspaper for the time. Jack Benny program is brought to you by Lucky Strike, product of the American Tobacco Company, America's leading manufacturer of cigarettes. This is the CBS Radio Network. RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, and first in television, presents Transcribed, the Phil Harris, Alice Faye Show. (laughs) 
For your enjoyment, here is the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevalier, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Walter Scharf and his music, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. According to James Fenimore Cooper, the last of the Mohican Indians were wiped out by a rival tribe. But according to a certain Indian named Andrew Fasthorse, the last of the Mohicans is still alive in the person of Phil Harris. This discrepancy results in a frightening experience for Phil. But more about that later. First, a word from RCA Victor. Your radio can give you long and faithful service if it's given regular and proper care. So if you notice your radio isn't up to par, if, for example, the volume rises and falls unexpectedly, or the sound is tinny, or if there's an annoying hum in the background, see your local radio serviceman. Radio servicing is a job for an expert. You can easily see why an expert is required when you look at the complex maze of tubes and parts in your set. Your local repairman has the proper testing and measuring equipment to help him quickly locate the source of radio troubles. And since he is a radio specialist, he's trained to adjust and repair radios to restore your set to its original performance. After a few tests, he may discover that the cause of your radio's poor performance is weak or worn-out receiving tubes. If that's the case you can be sure he'll be glad to replace them with top-quality RCA tubes. He knows from experience that RCA receiving tubes last longer and give the best service. So whatever make radio you own, when the tubes fail, be sure they're replaced with long-life RCA tubes. Dependable RCA radio receiving tubes are the industry's finest, yet they cost no more than ordinary makes. And now the stars of the RCA Victor program, Alice Faye and Phil Harris. <laughs> Two weeks ago, Phil had his Indian ancestry traced and was told he was Phil Fasthorse, the last of the Mohicans. Historians doubt the authenticity of this because according to history, all the Mohicans were wiped out many years ago by a rival tribe known as the Kiwanis. The news that a Mohican still lives has reached the Kiwanis. And as we look in, their chief has called a council of war. Noble braves of Kiwani tribe, Phil Harris must die. Why must Pale Face die, oh great chief? Him not pale face, him fill fast horse, last of the Mohicans. <coughs> That's not possible, Chief. Many moons ago, we Kiwanis wiped out every last one of that tribe. That's what we think. But one slippery son of a Mohican got away. <laughs> and our great Purity of Gamo will not rest until we finish task he had set before us. Phil Fasthorse must die at hands of Kiwane Brave. Then, O oh Chief, let me, Iron Eyes, be one to uphold honor of our tribe. I knock off this bum who louse up history. <laughs> Where I find this Phil Fasthorse? Him lived three slips away, over two mountains by big puddle in land of smog. Oh. 
Angeles. <laughs> yes. Here. Take bow and arrow. You must kill fast horse by ancient custom of tribe. But be careful, Iron Eyes, and do not get caught by great white sheriff Biscaloose. <laughs> and now go to the teepee of this field fast horse and good hunting. <laughs> Alice, uh, why did you call me over to the house? Oh, Willie, I've got to talk to you. Something has to be done about Phil. Ever since that so-called Indian cousin of his, Andrew Fasthorse, told him he's the last of the Mohicans, he's impossible to live with. What has the heap, big heap done now? <laughs> oh, Willie, he's doing everything like an Indian. He eats, sleeps, drinks, and talks like one. You should hear him. If I have to listen to any more... How? <laughs> Happy sun-up squaw? And how is princess with hide like juice from cow? <laughs> what did you call my sister? Oh, now take it easy, Willie. That means I have a milky white complexion. Oh, for heaven's sake. Philip, why don't you stop this nonsense? Uh, look who's here, pale-faced brother of squaw. Little Willie with face like low man on totem pole. <laughs> squaw, I have a complaint. What's the matter now, Phil? Please call me by my full Indian name. All right. What is it, old chief, fast horse, last of the Mohicans? Mighty warrior with hay with hair like wavy wheat fields. <laughs> hold him, squaw, hold him. <laughs> Maybe you better take that from top him again. <laughs> Please call me by my full Indian name. What is it, oh, chief fast horse, last of the Mohicans, mighty warrior with hair like wavy wheat field, feet of running antelope, and heart of mountain lion? You left out eyes of startled doe. <laughs> I forgot scalp me. What's your complaint? Seven sleeps ago, man came in house on wheels with bag on shoulder and took away cloth wrappings for feet. What's doe eyes trying to say? Well... He means a week ago the laundry man came in a truck and took away his dirty socks. You learn them fast, Squall. It is now the moon of the dark red calves, and the man with water tub has not returned. Where him? I know nowhere him. You know nowhere him who? Pale-faced, dangle, participle. <laughs> we Mohicans... Oh, why don't you stop? You're no more Mohican than I am. Oh, no? I got news for you. I can prove it now. I got a little tired of all you people saying I'm not a Mohican, so I wrote to my cousin Andrew Fasthorse, and for $50, he sent me my proof of my ancestry. Oh? What kind of proof? He sent me my pedigree and a blue ribbon for the best of breed. <laughs> $50 just for that? Well, naturally. I'm going to need proof of my ancestry when I speak at tonight's banquet that's being sponsored by the AF of M. The AF of M? That's right. The American Federation of Mohicans. <laughs> Local 47. 
Hey, that reminds me, Alice. Uh-huh. It's going to be a formal affair, so you'd better go upstairs and try on your Indian evening dress. But I, I haven't got any Indian evening dress. Yes, you have. You got one now. See, when Andrew heard about the banquet, he sent a complete formal outfit for each of us, and all he charged me was $150. Oh, goody. I've always wanted a Madam Minnie Ha Ha original. <laughs> you just wait till you see this dress, honey. You're going to love the way that it shimmers and shines. Shines? Is it covered with sequins? No, uh, glazed cougar teeth. <laughs> I've invited Indians from all over the country to the banquet to hear my speech, and I guarantee that... Hark! White man instrument with voices that travel over wires is ringing. I get them. Hello, um. Is this TP of Phil Fast Horse, last of Mohican? Oh, is that you, Dad? <laughs> Me, not your daddy. My name, Iron Eyes. Just want to make sure this is place where Phil Fast Horse lives. Yeah, yeah, this is the place. That's all I want to know. Goodbye. Wait a minute. I... Hello? Hello? I guess he hung up. Who was it, Phil? Some Indian. Probably just wanted to hear the voice of the great chief. Well, it's getting late. I better go upstairs and put my Indian suit on. I won't be long. I'll be back before morning dew dries on blades of green grass. Now, what does that mean? I don't know, but if you put it to music, you might like it. Try it. I'll try it. No two people have ever been so in love, been so in love, been so in love. No two people have ever been so in love as my lovely dove and I. No two people have ever moon such a moon, June such a June, spoon such a spoon. No two people have ever been so in tune as my macaroon and I. And when we kiss, and when we kiss, and when we kiss, well, it's like this. Well, it's hysterical, it's hysterical. Let me tell it. Well, certainly, darling. No two people have ever been so in love, been so in love, been so in love. No two people have ever been so in love as my lovely dovey and Never before and never again could never anything more romantic and beautiful be. No two people have ever been so in love. 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 Incredible, no two people have ever been so in love. So it's my lovely dove. And this is unique, the positive peak. Oh, we are the most unusual couple on earth. No two people have ever moon such a moon. Moon such a moon. June such a June. What they mean is that no two People have ever been so
Well, Squaw, how I look in my Indian suit. Oh, no. Well, if you don't take that off, I'm going to Albuquerque and get a Mohican divorce. (laughs) (laughs) That feathered headdress you're wearing is so exaggerated. You've got feathers running all the way down your back and dragging on the floor. Well, I look good in these feathers. I think you look silly in it. Come in. I'm not going to be seen with you in that. Hi, Alice. Hello, Elliot. I came over to... Who sold you this crummy-looking turkey? (laughs) Don't be funny. I ain't no turkey. Oh, Curly, it's you. What are you made up for? Well, can't you see? It's my tribal outfit. I'm going to a Mohican banquet tonight, and I'm going to make a speech, and Alice is going to do a ceremonial buffalo dance. A what dance? Buffalo dance. You wear a hollowed-out buffalo head, and you prance around, and then the Indians throw spears at you, and the first brave to hit you wins a Navajo electric blanket. (laughs) With dual controls. Well, I believe that does it. I'm not going. Now, honey, you've got to go. After all, I'm chief fast horse of the Mohicans. Now, that makes me the top-ranking Indian in the country. And as my wife, you're the first lady of the land. Well, I hope Mrs. Eisenhower will understand. (laughs) Well, she's going to have to understand. (laughs) After all, who was in this country first, the Eisenhowers or the fast horses? Curly's right. And now that you're the first lady of the land, I think you ought to change your hairstyle. You should wear bangs like Mamie does. Alice ain't gonna wear bangs. Well, thanks, dear. She'll have to get a Mohican haircut. (laughs) You'll shave all the hair off her head and just leave a runway right down the middle. (laughs) How's that appeal to you, dear? Oh, I can't wait. Neither can I. I'll get the clippers down a wee... I'm not going to let you shave my hair off. Chicken. (laughs) Alice, that's the least you can do for me. After all, I'm an important Indian. All the other Indians look up to me. Hey, that reminds me, Curly. When I came in, I noticed something outside. What? There's an Indian standing across the street with a bow and arrow pointed at this house. An Indian with a bow and arrow? Yeah. Hey... Well, isn't that nice of my fellow braves? Can you... You know what they've done? They've sent a guard of honor to escort me to the banquet tonight. Hey, Alice, you better go upstairs and get ready. We'll be leaving soon. In the meantime, I'm going to go outside and ask my Indian friend to come on in. Come on, Alice. (laughs) Um, fellow brave across the street, why don't you enter my teepee and... That thing just whizzed past my head. It's an arrow. Wonder what that's for. Oh no. I'll ask him. Hey, Bud, there's an arrow in my door. <laughs> now there's two of them. <laughs> What's he shooting at? You got an apple on your head? <laughs> I can't understand why he got. Oh now. Oh, I understand. Now it's for my rank of chief. You see, he's giving me a 21-era salute. <laughs> you see, he's shooting them over my head. They're not... Hey, wait a minute. That one went under my head. That just grazed my chin. Hey, Curly, he's shooting at you. Come inside, quick. I'm coming, I'm coming. Hey, shut that door fast. Yeah, I got it. What's the matter with them guys sending me a trigger-happy Indian? <laughs> Why would he shoot arrows at me? I don't know, Curly. Maybe there's an explanation in that note. What no? The last arrow came in the house and there's a note attached to it. Let me see that. Yeah, here you go. 
Bill Fast Horse, as last of Mohicans, you must die at hand of Kiwani Brave. Signed, Iron Eyes. Iron Eyes? Hey, that's the guy who called me before. Now, why would he want to kill a cute Indian like me? <laughs> I don't know. I... Hey, wait a minute. As a kid, I remember reading about a feud between the Kiwanis and the Mohicans. The Kiwanis vowed to wipe out all the Mohicans, and they did. All except you. Me? Elliot, would you like to buy a Mohican pedigree cheap? <laughs> you get all the papers and a blue ribbon... Get away and... from me. Well, what am I going to do? The guy wants to kill me. Well, he can't kill you if you don't leave the house. But I got to leave the house. I got to get to that banquet tonight. If I could only think of some way to scare that savage off. Yeah. Hey, why don't you sing? If that don't scare him, nothing will. <laughs> That's an insult. But I'll try. Open the window and duck. Yeah. Some enchanted evening... You will meet a stranger <laughs> Not enough they took Manhattan Now them white faces are stealing my voice <laughs> Well, is my singing scaring Iron Eyes off? No, he's still there Got his fingers in his ears, but he's still there <laughs> All I need is an Indian music critic let me look out there, Elliot, and see what he... Yeah, you're right, he's still there. I gotta get rid of him so I can go to the bandwidth. Curly, why don't you call the cops and have him arrested? Yeah, I could... No. No? That is against the code of the Indians. It would be cowardly to call on the pale face to settle our differences, and I will not call the police. Because you're not a coward, huh? No, because Iron Eyes just cut the telephone wires. <laughs> Elliot, I gotta get to that meeting My fellow Braves are counting on me And I'm not gonna let them down Yeah Hey, Curly I got an idea That guy will shoot at anybody Who walks out in an Indian suit So? So all you have to do Is get somebody else To put your Indian suit on And walk out the front door While you sneak out the back door Elliot hmm? Whoever steps out that front door In an Indian suit Is gonna get killed And I wouldn't let anybody Get killed on my account Except <laughs> You thought of somebody, huh? Think we ought to? Why not? He's a small target How many errors can get in him? <laughs> All we gotta do is talk him into putting on my Indian suit Or if I just get my feathered headdress on him That ought to get Hi, it. Mr. Lewis Hi, oh, Mr. Harris Mr. Harris, you ought to plug up that hole in your head The feathers are coming out <laughs> I... I happen to be wearing my Indian headdress How do I look? Like a sloppy peacock <laughs> What are you talking about? It's a beautiful headdress And I'm not gonna uh, let uh, you uh, stand Curly, Curly, the lad is right It doesn't look good on you Because you're not the type to wear it It would look much better on a, a handsome man Somebody like, uh, uh, uh like, uh Julius Abruzio? That's the name I was groping for <laughs> A handsome kid like him would really set off this headdress Yeah, hey, hey, here, kid, try it on I don't want it Why not? If I'm that handsome, I don't want nothing covering up me beauty <laughs> I want the world to see me in me natural pulchritude And I don't want any artificial. Shut your tater trap and put this on <laughs> It's a real chief's headdress and I'm giving it to you for nothing Oh, that's different, I'll take it 
Here, I'll put it on for you. Thanks. Hey, these feathers are very colorful. Oh, you can't appreciate the colors in the house. You got to step outside and see it in the daylight. Yeah, okay, I'll go out in the back. No, no, no. Don't go out in the back. Go out in the front. The daylight's much better out there. All right, I'll go out in front. <laughs> Good. We'll walk out with you. Yeah. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry him home. Great sweet iron eye, get him just beneath his nose. What are you guys singing off key? Oh, that, that's an old Indian lullaby Step outside and look at your feathers Okay Hey, it does look better <laughs> What just went by me little head? <laughs> oh, nothing, kid Just stay there and... Those are just feathered spitballs. What's the deal, points? Let me in the house. Shut the door, quick. Julius, why didn't you stay out there? Now you've spoiled everything by coming in. What do you mean, spoiled everything? There's a crazy Indian out there shooting arrows at me. Oh, you're too sensitive. Now listen, kids, you gotta go out there again. It's important to me. If you let him hit you just once, I'll be able to make an after-dinner speech at an Indian banquet tonight. Oh, great! I should get myself killed so you can be a Mohican Georgie Jessel. <laughs> Why was that guy shooting at me? He wasn't really shooting at you. He thought you were Mr. Harris. And if you'd have gotten killed instead of me, the laugh would have been on the Indian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he big joke! <laughs> Get excited, kid We're just trying to confuse him Hey, wait a minute Wait a minute, Elliot I got a thought What? Well, listen to this Now, if we were all dressed in Indian outfits He couldn't know which one to shoot at Ain't that a good idea? I don't like it I hate it <laughs> Look, nobody's gonna get hurt If three of us are dressed like Indians He won't know which one of us Is the last of the Mohicans We'll split up my Indian outfit And each one of us will wear part of it, huh? Okay, Elliot You wear the headdress Julius You wear the buckskin suit I Wear. Indian underwear. <laughs> Curly, let's call this whole thing off. Elliot, I've got to get to that banquet. I ain't gonna let my Indian friends down. I just gotta get out. Hey, wait a minute. There's a very simple solution. That Indian don't know what you look like, Mr. Harris. He's just shooting at anybody that comes out in an Indian suit. Hey, that kid's right. I'll just take off this Indian suit. Well, uh, certainly. I got my regular clothes under it. There. Now, when I walk out, he won't even know me. This is a great idea, kid. Hey, wait a minute. I need this Indian suit to wear at the banquet. Put it in this paper bag and carry it under your arm. He ain't gonna notice it. And to prove it, Mr. Lewis and me will walk out with you. Thanks loads. <laughs> you see, Mr. Harris, I was right. He ain't shooting. Now, come on, Curly. Just walk by him and pay no attention to him. <laughs> uh oh, he's coming over here to us. Hey, look, now, no cracks about me being an Indian. Just keep your mouths closed and maybe we can get away with this. Mm -hmm. I hope you don't think of looking in this paper bag. Stop! 
I want to talk to you. You, with red eyes. Are you last of Mohican named Phil Fast Horse? Pardon, monsieur? Maisy Lope Le Crepe Suzette? <laughs> Me no understand. What he say? That's French for yes. My name is Phil Fast Horse. <laughs> is that what I said? I better try another language. Mine hell? The domain is Hans von Grauppenhauser. <laughs> you, Phil Fasthorse, Indian I look for. No, Mr. Honest. Honest, I'm not Phil Fasthorse. I'm not even an Indian. If you don't believe me, ask Mr. Lewis. That's right. He's not an Indian. If you don't believe me, ask Julia. That's right. He's not an Indian. If you don't believe me, look in that paper bag under his arm. <laughs> Julia, what are you trying to do to me? Can't you guess? <laughs> What you got in paper bag? Oh, in this paper bag? Well, I got, um, um, I got a... A dirty a, shirt. A, a dirty shirt. A pair of overalls. A pair of overalls. Tennis shoes. Tennis shoes. A feathered headdress. A feathered headdress. Your Sunday Indian suit. My Sunday Indian... No! <laughs> Look, mister, this is all a mistake. No mistake. You are Phil Fasthorse. Now I avenge honor of Kiwanis. You stand still and die like brave. If all same to you, I run and live like coward. <laughs> Around, Iron Eye. Stop! Come back! You must die! I shoot you on run! You missed him, you nearsighted jerk! <laughs> oh, Alice, what a horrible experience. That Indian chased me all the way downtown shooting up a fail boom, fee boom, 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 oh, what I went through. Well, well it could have been worse. Oh. Now, now, lie still while I pull this last arrow out of you. <laughs> Ow! That was a deep one. Hmm. Well, I hope this teaches you a lesson, Komahaka Genie. Komahaka Genie? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Oh, it's your new Indian name. Chief Fast Horse with feet like dartboard. Oh! <laughs> Alice and Phil will be back in just a moment. Since television began, the really big advances have come from RCA Victor. That's why more people have bought RCA Victor than any other television. Now this year, RCA Victor brings you 23 new models packed with future features. You'll find that this great new line is five ways finer for 53. There's the new automatic magic monitor circuit system, improved deep image picture tube, new long distance reception, and an advanced automatic UHF-VHF tuner, available at extra cost, proved twice as sensitive as many other tuners. And for 1953, you have a choice of 42 different combinations of styles and finishes, the greatest cabinet selection in RCA Victor history. Even more amazing, prices still start at only $199.95. See the entire new line tomorrow and pay particular attention to the beautiful Jeffrey, RCA Victor's lowest price 21-inch console. Ask your dealer to show you why this set and others in the new RCA Victor line is five ways finer for 53. This is Phil again. For girls who are high school graduates or college students, nursing can be a career. Visit your nearest hospital or nursing school for complete details 
on becoming a student nurse. Thanks, everyone, and good night. Good night, everybody. Included in this program transcribed were Iron Eyes Cody and Chief Yalachi. The part of Julius was played by Walter Tetley. The character Andrew Fast Horse was created by and is used under license from Richard English. What's the finger decoration, honey? Oh, this ribbon around my finger? Well, that's to remind me. You tie a ribbon around your finger to remind you? What's wrong with a plain old string? It's not elegant enough. I wouldn't settle for anything less than a pure silk ribbon to remind me, to remind you, to have our RCA Victor Factory service contract renewed this year. That's right, Alice. Service. Installation and adjustment of our wonderful RCA Victor television set by RCA's own technicians. America's finest television service. Phil, what are you doing with my ribbon? Tying it around the microphone, honey, to remind our listeners to get RCA factory service, too. Next, hear Theater Guild on the air over NBC. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the Jack Benny Show from the 1942-1943 season. This episode has a couple guest stars on it. We get a chance to spend some time with George Jessel, who we've talked about before, who was kind of your entertainer's entertainer, and everybody looked up to him, and he would go around and do all the Hollywood parties and everything. Uh, never really found a niche for himself in radio or television on an ongoing series, which is kind of do lots of guest appearances. Uh, another interesting person on this episode is Joe Besser, and a lot of folks have been really enjoying Besser's performances on the Jack Benny Show recently. I've been getting a lot of emails and um, comments left on the website and everything. And Joe Besser is the one who's always has that kind of high, kind of effeminate voice of uh, that's always saying things like, um, not so fast, not so fast, <laughs> and that sort of thing. He's a... Uh, He's a very entertaining character, and he uses his character throughout Jack Benny's radio show, other radio shows he's on, in television. Uh, he's on Jack's show a number of times on television, and also uses that same voice on other folks' shows on television as well. And then in uh, 1956, he became uh, one of the Three Stooges. Um, after, uh, let's see, there was Shemp uh, that made their first uh, picture with um, the Three Stooges, and then Curly took over, and Curly ran until 1946 when he had a stroke, and then Shemp came back and stayed with them until 1955 when he died of uh, a heart attack, I believe, and then uh, Joe Besser took over, um, in 1956 to 57 
but the films that they created within that time frame of about a year, year and a half or something, uh, were released over the next number of years. So really he seemed to be a member from 56 to about 59. But anyway, I hope you enjoy Joe Besser and George Jessel and the rest of the gang tonight, and we'll see you next time. The Grape Nuts Flakes program, coming to you from Toronto, Ontario, and starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Dennis Day, Rochester, yours truly, Don Wilson, and our guest conductor, Alan McIver, and his all-Canadian orchestra. Ladies, how often does your husband make with this theme song? I want what I want when I want it. <laughs> yes, sir, that's a man for you, especially when it's time for breakfast. He wants breakfast there when he wants it. And does he know what he wants for breakfast? Well, just try him and see. Just hand him a bowl full of delicious, crisp, tempting, moldy rich grape nuts flakes. Then watch what happens. One taste of that grand grape nuts flavor and that I want frown becomes a happy grin. And that grin will stay on because nourishing grape nuts flakes stick to the ribs. They help keep you going until lunchtime, for they're a whole grain cereal chucked in food values. So try old Doc Wilson's recipe for a happy home and serve grape nuts flakes at breakfast. America's fastest growing breakfast cereal. gentlemen, for the first time in our broadcasting history, our program this evening originates outside the borders of the United States. Yes, sir, we're in Toronto, Canada. Canada, stretching 3,000 miles from Nova Scotia in the east to Vancouver Island in the distant Pacific. It's big, all right. Canada, famous for its farming, its lumbering, its mining, and its fur trapping. Yep, everything from grizzly bear to skunk. <laughs> Which brings us to our master of ceremonies, Jack Benny. Hmm, and I had to help him out on that. Oh, well, hello again. This is Jack Benny, the grizzly bear, talking. <laughs> I've got too much hair tonic on me to be that other animal, you know. <laughs> And Don, there's a sure thrill broadcasting from the Dominion of Canada. Look at those uniforms out in the audience. Men from the Royal Canadian Navy, the Canadian Active Army, the Royal Canadian Air Force. Yeah. And don't forget the Royal Norwegian Air Force. Yes, sir. They've all... They've all... They've all turned out. And I love the people up here in Toronto, Don. They're so friendly, and they go out of their way to make you comfortable. Uh, what do you mean? Well, for instance, when I arrived in town, it was snowing. So they dug an underground tunnel from the Union Station to the Royal York Hotel just for me. Now, that's, that's real consideration. Oh, now, wait a minute, Jack. 
That tunnel connecting the Union Station and the Royal York Hotel has been there for years. It has? <laughs> Gee. Of course, everybody knows that. Oh, my goodness. And then I better rush over there right away. What's the matter, Jack? Oh, I, I've got to take down that sign I put up. What sign? <laughs> Jack Benny Tunnel, admission 10 cents. <laughs> Gee, people, people here will think I'm awful, you know. Oh, I wouldn't worry about it. By the way, Jack, are you stopping at the Royal York? Yes, uh, Dennis and I, and Dennis is a ranger, and my riders, and their riders, and a man named, um, a man named McTavish from Winnipeg, who's in the grain business, we're sharing a lovely room. <laughs> it has, uh, it has twin beds, of course. Oh, I, I see. Uh, does your room overlook Lake Ontario? I don't know. McTavish always hangs his kilt across the window. <laughs> a nice, uh, nice chap, though, you know? Uh, come in. Yes? Mr. Benny, on behalf of the English-speaking population of Canada, I'd like to welcome you to Toronto and present you with this genuine Canadian quarter. A Canadian quarter? Well... Thank you. What's that for? We want you to spend something while you're up here. <laughs> well, just for that, just for that, I'm going to spend that quarter. McTavish and I are going out to dinner. <laughs> What's left over, we'll split a cigar. Yes, sirree. Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. Well, Mary, are you having fun on our little visit to Canada? I'll say. And what a beautiful city Toronto is. You know, Jack, yesterday I got on a streetcar and went over to visit my cousin. Oh, do you have a cousin living here in Canada? Yeah, Vancouver. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Mary. You can't take a streetcar from Toronto to Vancouver. That's his name, Vancouver Livingston. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Well, Mary, we've certainly covered a lot of ground in one week, haven't we? Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal. You said it. And say, Jack, in Montreal, I stayed at the Windsor Hotel, and I slept in the same room that Mrs. Roosevelt had a few days before. The same room Mrs. Roosevelt had? How do you know? Well, in the middle of the night, the phone rang. I said, hello. Yes. And a boy said, I'm back from North Africa. Where are you? <laughs> oh, then it... <laughs> Well, it must, must have been Mrs. Roosevelt's room, all right. Huh? Speaking of Montreal, Mary, isn't that a romantic old city? What food they have! To Wilson, a bowl of onion soup is romance. <laughs> Mary, but you're... <laughs> but you're right, Don. The food in Montreal is terrific, especially in those little French restaurants. Huh? You ought to stay out of those little French restaurants until you learn to speak the language. What are you talking about? I parlay Francois Trey Bonnie. <laughs> And incidentally, Mary, you should have had some of those escargot I ordered. Yum, yum. Well, I don't like snails. Snails? Yike! <laughs> Holy smoke, I ate three orders of snails. No wonder you've been walking so slow the last few days. <laughs> no quiet. I can't understand making such a silly mistake why in Waukegan High School, French was my best subject. In fact, we... Come in. Monsieur Benny? We. Oui. Au nom de la population canadienne-française du Canada, 
Je désire vous souhaiter une cordiale bienvenue à notre beau pays. Oui, oui. Oui? <laughs> What's he saying, Jack? Well, nothing about snails has come up. That I know. Uh, procedez-vous, Mansour. Uh, procedez-vous. Yeah. Nous pensons que vos remarques sont vraiment drôles. Oui, oui. <laughs> continue, continue. <laughs> et nous apprécions à juste titre votre habilité artistique et espérons bien que votre séjour au Canada sera des plus agréables. Bonsoir. Well, now that was really sweet, really. I mean, sorry. Sorry, he got away. Sorry he got away so fast. I would love to have parlayed with him longer, you know? Well, tell us, Jack, what did he say? What did he say? He said that, um, I mean, he implied, that is, he, he more or less suggested, look, he's gone, we had a nice chat, now let's forget him. <laughs> My goodness. Well, Dennis Day. Hello, Dennis. Hello. Well, Dennis, I haven't seen you since we left Ottawa. Did you have a good time there? Yeah, it was wonderful, and I was sure thrilled when we met the king. The king? <laughs> the king? Yeah, King Mackenzie. That's Mackenzie King. Listen, that's Mackenzie... That's Mackenzie King. He's the prime minister. Oh. And I enjoyed meeting him, too. You know, Mr. Benny, these Canadian people sure are generous. They really overdo it. What do you mean, overdo it? Well, I gave the girl at the cashier's desk a $10 bill, and she gave me $11 change. She must be nuts about me. <laughs> Listen, Dennis, she gave you the right change. You see, $10 American for 11 Canadian is international monetary stabilization and is determined through equitable negotiations on the part of the Canadian and American fiscal policy authorities. You better lay off those snails, brother. <laughs> oh, for Pete's sake. Now, Dennis, Dennis, in the first no, place... Oh, Jack, stop wasting your breath. Dennis will never get that stuff through his head. Mary's right. Dennis is too confused to understand such a complicated subject. Now, wait a minute. Let's be fair about this. Dennis may be a little confused, but he's not dumb. He's not stupid. Talk is cheap. Let's see you prove it. <laughs> well, there's no use waiting. I'll have to keep that kid in the trunk. Never mind, Dennis. Let's have your song and do a good job. Hold it a minute. Come in. We sing, Mr. Benny. Quite low for still. Then we prove that, Mr. Dubrick. We we, Monsieur. Jack, Jack, he's not French. He's a Norwegian flyer. Oh, a Norwegian flyer. Oh, oh, go ahead, sir. For vain of all the good stuff, it is not a free weapon. Some trainer here in Canada, where he come for his seat. Yes. We don't have any benefit on the heading until or see that we see this. They are mega mushroom, but we like them mega better in the right galax. Well, now, would you mind telling me uh, what you said in English? Mr. Benny, we Norwegians think you are very funny, and we like you much better than smoked. White fish. <laughs> well, that's very nice of you. Go ahead and sing, then.
to come home to, sung by Dennis Day. And Dennis, that was swell. Thank you. And Mr. Benny, since today is your birthday, I'd like to dedicate that number to you. Well. That's right, Jack. Happy birthday. Many happy returns of the day, old boy. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Gosh, another birthday. No kidding, Mr. Benny. Were you really born on February 14th? Yep. I was a Valentine baby. Cupid brought me instead of the store. Yeah. Store? Huh? A stork? Yes. There's something fishy there, but I'm only guessing. <laughs> Dennis, I mean, I mean Cupid brought me because I was born on Valentine's Day. But the stork brings everybody else. Oh, you're a little wrong there, Jack. A crane brought me. <laughs> now, what's the... Now, what's the difference? Or crane, they're both birds. Well, I mean a crane like in a shipyard. Oh, oh, you mean a hoist. Well, Don, you're an exception. You see, you were a very heavy baby. I understand your nurse had to jack you up to put your diapers on. <laughs> well, anyhow, getting back to me, here it is, another birthday. Say, Mr. Benny. Yes, Dennis. Well, I'll probably get slugged for this. But how old are you exactly? Well, Dennis, let me put it this way. I'm as frisky as a boy of 10. I feel like sweet 16. And I don't look a day older than 25. Now, just add those up and you got it. Mary, I'm not 51. I'm in my late 30s. Or my early 40s. You were in your early 40s in the gay 90s. 
Never mind. And now, ladies and gentlemen... I wish I had a nickel for every time Lillian Russell slapped your face. I said never mind. <laughs> but I may be so bold. And now, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I'd like to have you meet our guest conductor this week, Mr. Alan McIver from Montreal. Thank you, everybody. Uh, so your name is Alan McIver, eh? Alan. Do you mind if I call you Al? Oh, no, not at all. Thank you. You see, I happen to know a fella named Alan, and just the... <laughs> just the mention of his name makes my hair stand on end. Open your shirt and show him. I mean the hair on my head. Well, sir, let's have your band number. What's it going to be? I've prepared a special arrangement of Canadian capers. Good. Oh, by the way, Mr. Benny, I don't know if this is the right time to bring it up, but I enjoy your work in pictures very, very much. You do? Well, well. Yes, I saw you and George Washington slept here, and you are wonderful. Thank you. Especially Ann Sheridan. Hmm. <laughs> Everybody says that. Incidentally, Mr. McIver, I'm in a new picture now called The Meanest Man in the World. I, uh, I suppose you'll see that. Who else is in it? Well, I have a swell role. You see, I play the part of a young lawyer who is a failure because he's so nice and sweet and kind. Who else is in it? Hmm. And it isn't until I change my character and become the meanest man in the world that I achieve the prominence that I so justly deserve. Who else is in it? Priscilla Lane in Rochester. <laughs> who the... Who do you think is in it? Let's have your number. What a fan. Heaven's sake. All right, folks, Canadian capers. Uh, just a minute, Jack. Speaking of Canada, uh, I've written a very clever message which involves various cities and towns in this dominion. Oh, who, who else is in it? I mean, you have? You have... <laughs> What's the matter with me? Uh, yes, it, it goes something like this. <clears throat> when you come back from the lake, Louise, uh -huh. and when you arrive in port, Arthur... Well, there's... There's two places already. I want you both to ronto your neighborhood grocer hmm. and ask him for a box of toasty brown sweeters and nut grape nuts flakes. Toronto, that's not bad. That's... Now, if you arrive home and find that you've forgotten your grape nuts flakes, Quebec to the store immediately. <laughs> Quebec? Quebec to the store? Yes, because grape nuts flakes in the big 12-ounce economy-sized package is America's fastest-growing flake cereal. Believe me, folks, you ought to try some tomorrow. Don, Don, that was wonderful. I'm sure you've given the people Halifax about our product. Uh, I bet Ruby Stevens hated that one. And now, and now, Mr. McIver, I think you can play... Who's that? Come in. Well, it's the Canadian girl, the French-Canadian soldier, and the Norwegian flyer. What's this for? Happy birthday, Mr. Benny, and may you have many more of them. Thank you. Thank you. Vous souhaitez une bonne fête, Monsieur Benny, espérant que vous en aurez beaucoup d'autres. Merci. Merci beaucoup. Tillykke med fødselsdagen. Jeg håber, I vil oppleve mange flere av dem. Mangatok! Mangatok! Play, MacIver! Gee, a birthday in three languages. Ain't I
That was, uh, that was Canadian Capers played by Alan, I mean, Al McIver and his orchestra. And Al, that was very, very good and quite apropos. And now, ladies and gentlemen, since we are in the Dominion of Canada, for our special attraction this evening... Mary Livingston will read a poem. Mary Livingston will... Nothing doing, Mary. The poem is out. You let me read my poem or I'll tell everybody that you think the tunnel from the Union Station to the hotel was dug especially for you. They know that already. Then I'll tell them that you're charging a dime to walk through it. They know that, too. Do they know you're letting people go through piggyback for 15 cents? (laughs) How'd you go through all of that without fluffing a line? I don't know, Jack. The special rate. (laughs) That was wonderful. You're very good. Listen. All right, let's have your poem. Uh, what's the... <laughs> uh, what's the title of it? Uh, here's to Canada. It's Army, Navy, Air Force, Merchant Marine, Ferry Command, and the FIMTA. The FIMTA? What's that? The fellow I met this afternoon. Oh. Oh, well... Well, go ahead. <clears throat> here's to the land of the maple leaf. Our neighbor, good and true. Greetings from Don and Dennis and me, and Jack with eyes of blue. <laughs> they, uh, they have been compared to Lake Ontario through McTavish's kilt. <laughs> <you know? laughs> go ahead, Miss Seuss. I mean, Miss... <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Oh, Canada, you are so mighty. Your snow-capped mountains are so whitey. Whitey? Your air is cold. Your wind is bitey. That's why I wear a flannel nighty. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh, Canada, where seals do play, way up north in Hudson Bay, the Eskimos, they live in igloos and keep their pigs in little pigloos. Mary, they don't have pigs up there. They eat blubber. Hmm. The Eskimos, they live on blubber. It looks like steak, but tastes like rubber. The nights up there last half a year. So if you walk in your sleep, take a sandwich and beer. That's right. That's right. A little midnight snack around the middle of December would be good. Is that all? Is that all, Mary? No, one more verse. Okay. So here's to the land of the maple leaf. Our neighbor, good and true. Our visit has been wonderful. So thanks. Merci beaucoup. Very, very good. Very good. Well, Mary, that was a swell poem and a beautiful thought, and I'm sure that goes for all of us. Now, fellas, before I forget it... Excuse me. Come in. Mr. Benny? Yes? I'm an Eskimo, and I have a message for you. Well, um, a bald-headed Eskimo... (laughs) (laughs) He He must have a small entrance to his igloo What's the message, sir? On behalf of the Eskimos of Canada Glub, Ugg, Rickajack, Belois, Zock, Powie What does that mean? How do I know I'm a bellboy at the hotel? How does Bill Morrow get a job as a bellboy? That's right, the Eskimo didn't show up. Now, fellas, as I started to say, tomorrow night when we do our show, I want you all to be ready by 7 o'clock because immediately afterwards we have to take the train for Chicago. That is, you'll be in Chicago and I'll stay in Waukegan. Meanwhile, 
Now, who can that be? Hello? Bonsoir, monsieur. Sam. Same one, Rochester. <laughs> Rochester? Why, Rochester, where did you learn to speak French? My Montreal mama done told me. Oh. Well, uh, what do you want, Rochester? What did you call me about? Well, I'm down here in the tunnel, boss. In the... In the, in the tunnel? Yeah, a train just came in from Ottawa. Shall I lower the toll gate? Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Rochester. That isn't my tunnel anymore. People can walk through without pain. This is a fine time to tell me a Scotchman just knocked me cold with a bagpipe. What? That Loch Lomond really packs a wallop. Well, it was all my fault. There's only one thing to do, and that's give the people back their money. Now, how many dimes did you collect? Only three, boss. Only three? Two from a newly married couple who didn't want to stop to argue. <laughs> yes? And one from a bald-headed Eskimo. Well, the Eskimo's here, and I'll take care of them. See you later, Rochester. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, say, Rochester, I hope you sent my trunk to the right town. Last week, you sent it to Toledo instead of Toronto. Don't worry, boss. It's all packing on its way to Weehawken. Weehawken? Uh, maybe it should be Skowhegan. It's Waukegan. I told you to send the trunk to Waukegan, Illinois. Now, look, get in touch with Weehawken, and then get in touch with Skowhegan, and have him send the trunk to Waukegan. You better put an Indian on that, boss. Shawnee come from Paz, those names. You'll do it yourself. Now, Rochester, that trunk isn't in Waukegan. I mean, Skowhegan. I mean, Waukegan. When I arrive, this will be your finish. Now, remember when I... Friends, never has it been so important as it is today for you to choose the right foods in feeding your family. Because America's health and America's victory depends on your thoughtful food buying. That's why our government nutrition authorities urge you to buy more whole grain cereals and serve them oftener. Whole grain cereals are plentiful and economical, and they provide nutritional values we all need, including protective minerals and vitamins. Iron, calcium, phosphorus, proteins, niacin, vitamin B1. You get all those food values in whole grain cereals served with milk. So you see, there's a valuable and thrifty way to help balance other food shortages. Now, your choice may not be grape nuts flakes, but if it is, it's a wise choice and a delicious one. For in Grape Nuts Flakes, you get a whole grain cereal with a distinctive malty-rich flavor and a crisp, toasty brown texture. But whether you choose Grape Nuts Flakes or not, do serve your family more whole grain cereals. Remember, they're plentiful, they're nourishing, they're thrifty. That was the last number of the 20th program in the new Grape Nuts Flake series. And we'll be with you again next Sunday night broadcasting from serv for servicemen in Chicago, Illinois. And I want to say that we have had a marvelous time here in Canada. I'd like to thank the Governor General, Prime Minister Mackenzie King, and all the people of Canada 
for their splendid hospitality. And also, I would like to wish success to the Canadian food industry's special war-saving stamp drive, which is now taking place. Good night, folks. The Jack Benny program is written by Bill Meyer and Ed Beloyd. <laughs>